In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us mankind with your light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds to understand the gospel teaching. Implant in us also fear the blessed commandments of trampling down all carnal desires, and be entered upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as all pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and thee we ascribe glory. Together with that Father, who is everlasting, and then all holy, good, and life giving spirit, now and ever, to the ages of ages. Amen. 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 Good morning. We haven't had you for a while. Welcome back. I thought I saw you on the screen in a winter coat. Oh, it was mine. That was you? Yeah, it was me. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I haven't updated the profile picture in a while. Okay. Okay. Well, here we are in chapter 11. Yeah. Now, last week we had some of the toughest scriptures to look at, right? Yeah. Today we have one of the nicest. We're on verse 25. Yes. Matthew. Matthew 11, no, 25. <laughs> nice. I like that. Like What's exactly. wrong with that? Nothing. That's why I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who would like to read for us 11, 25 to 30? All right, Kathy. All right. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all ye all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beautiful. Surprising, given everything we've set up to date. No. Yes. <laughs> why no and why yes no because because the, uh, the previous you know was difficult and hard mm -hmm. but, it, but it would be it would be better to end it on a light note and give us hope rather than be stuck in the in the previous verses so is he contradicting his previous no no he's saying this is this is the way. I mean, yep. you got to get out of the icky stuff that I always talk about. Mm -hmm. And this is where we're headed. And if you follow him, you don't have to worry about the previous. Right. So why is it seemingly contradictory? Except that the previous is not easy. No. no. That's what we were talking about last week. No. Now, what 
makes it hard and what could make it easy. And I'll give you a clue. <laughs> Kathy's learned the trick. She looked down. <laughs> Based on Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 to 30, assuming that Jesus is not switching tacks and contradicting himself, what about what he's said so far and now including what he's saying now could make it hard or could make it easy depending on our choices? Well, to those that us, to those of us who might think that we have a little wisdom, um, it, it's the things are hidden from us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our wisdom, what we think typically is wisdom, because it's ours. It's not necessarily wisdom. We think it is because it's ours. <laughs> You're right. And, and that's where he says, he's hidden these from the wise understanding and revealed them to babes. Yea, Father, such was thy gracious will, not just thy will. Remember, every word in scripture is going to be important. What's the difference between a will and a gracious will? Well, more than we expect, more than we deserve. Good. All right. So his will, his will could be anything. It could be positive, negative, easy, hard. But Jesus is, is reminding us that the will of God is gracious. It's more than we deserve. It's, it's good. It's loving. It's kind. That's all the things that, that being gracious includes. So his will, which everything we've heard so far talks of the will of God, which is difficult. It is a challenge. But then he goes on here, especially in uh, 28, 29, and 30, to talk about how that challenge is not necessarily as hard as it has to be, or that in some ways we make it harder than it has to be. So what's, what's the key to making it easier than we would make it on our own? Well, trust in him. He knows better than we do. I mean, mm-hmm. We're going to be surprised if we go along with his program, we will probably be surprised. Yeah. And going along with this program means doing what? Sarah said it along with you. Come to me. Yeah. It's done with him. That's the key. So if you look at 28, 29, 30, the message we're going to see over and over again is, yeah, the way is a difficult way. He's not undoing that. He's saying the will of God is, is gracious, but we know it's been hard by everything we've talked about to date. But now he's saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So doing that same work, but doing it with Christ, we get rest. You know, he doesn't say, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will, you will not work or have any weight on you. He's going to give us the rest. And then he doubles down the same message. Take my yoke upon you. Did we talk about yokes last week? Is that in a different group? Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me right last week what a yoke was. You all know what a yoke is, right? Oxen. Yeah. So it's it's what you put on the the burst of the burst, the beast of burden, <laughs> burst of beaten, the, the beast of burden to one to use the energy from it, but also to they all work together. So it connects the horse, the ox, or whatever to the card, whatever it is you want the, the animal to help with. 
So he's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Where do we say the wise typically get their learning from? Those who consider themselves wise, where do they get their wisdom typically? Yeah, and we know that ourselves. Whenever we think, like you said, we're wise, it's typically because it's us. You know, it's not only the wise, but it's the prudent as well. Prudent. It's written um, in verse 25. You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Yours is prudent? Okay. You want to comment on that? Mine is wise and understanding. So let's see what the Greek has to say here. It's 25, right? Uh, Well, doesn't it mean yeah. the wise of the world, which means us? We think so we get the wisdom. Sinaton is like um, it's like knowledge. It's it's the it's the data, the information. So if if wisdom is you take information and you do something elevated with it. In other words, wisdom is not just I have the right information. You got the right information, but you make very very unwise decisions with the right information. So it's both the right information and the wisdom to do something good with it. Go ahead, but you have to say it louder. Verse 29, when he's talking about, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The lowly in heart part, Mm -hmm. what does he mean? So let's go back a second. We'll lead into that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From his example. His example. That's the key. Okay. In other words, don't learn from him that he's just going to utter words to you and say, this is what you should do. Yeah. It's like a parent for the child is saying, do it like I'm telling you to do. Watch me do it. And then you do what I do. It's, It's somebody who is showing us by what he does. Learn from me. When he says gentle and lowly in heart, he means I'm gentle and lowly in heart, so you should be. Exactly. Okay, but the lowly in heart, what does that mean? Well, let's let's try to take it from the context. Gentle and lowly in heart. Does it mean necessarily? Um, well, what are our options? We want to solve it. What are the options? Low means. Less than maybe humble in heart. Be humble yeah. as opposed to proud. Could be weak as opposed to strong, right? Could be, um, I mean, if there's anybody who didn't have to be gentle and lowly, it would be Christ. But he's saying, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. This is where we all get Jesus wrong, bless you, so much of the time, because if we were him, we wouldn't do it that way. We would do it a different. Why would, why would the almighty act with gentleness and lowliness of heart? Now, everything of heart is what? In the heart or of the heart, what does that mean? So the heart is the core of us, right? In an Orthodox tradition, the heart is where the physical and the spiritual meet. 
It's where the human and the divine meet. It's where God re resides in us. Um, it's, it's the core of who we are. It's, it's our center. So when you're, whatever you are in heart, you are from your core. It's not just transitory. It's not superficial. It's who you are um, from within. Yes. <laughs> how, how should we reconcile the statement, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, with, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable today for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for you? Good. Good question. Because again, all this connects up, right? It's not, we didn't just pull this out from something else. It's in Matthew. So let's see. about that? Please. Um, I think what we're talking about is walking in the will of God. And when you're not walking in the will of God, that's when judgment is most severe on you. So, so I think that's what Christ is talking about. When you're walking in the will of God, then, then you are receiving these, the real benefits of of being in, in the Lord. So instead of, instead of uh, out of his will, where we, all of us kind of get in trouble and maybe don't feel so good when we come to confession and cleanse us from our sins, that feeling that we have after confession is kind of what I'm talking about for, for, for us. Okay. For, and, for, and what is that? It's a sense what is a sense of freedom and lightness, like he's talking. My yoke is light. My burden is is light. Your your light. Right. This heavy burden is off of you. So you come to confession. We all come to confession because we've sinned, right? Right. And by sinning, what we mean is we did it our way, not God's way. There you go. And going to confession is returning to God. Right. So. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Rick, especially if you look at I mean, we could talk about all of Matthew up until this point. But let's just go back to the previous section that Kathy's asking about. If you go back to 20 to 24, <clears throat> what was he upbraiding them for? Well, th that he had done mighty works. And they what rejected, didn't they do? They rejected it. They, well, they didn't. They didn't do what? Look at uh, 20. They didn't repent. They didn't repent. Right. Okay. So Christ is calling us to a way. When we go off the way, he's calling us to repent and return to be on that way, which is, I think, what work is talking about. And then to go back to your question, Kathy, if whether we either stay on the path like rick is saying or we've gone off the path or and we come back either way it's doing it with him that's what i think what we're going to hear over and over again in 28 to 30 is it's doing it with him well also if you think about it that verse before talks about them not repenting and that's why he's so angry and so upset with them <clears throat> and in the second verse he says come to me which is literally what we do when we come to the church for confession. Mm -hmm. The priest is a representation of Christ. When you speak to him in confession, you're speaking directly to Christ and you come to the priest with your labors and your have in your heavy laden mm -hmm. and you, and it gives you rest. You're, you are 
there is a feeling you get when you leave confession that is, mm-hmm. is restful. It's peaceful. And after that, you feel gentle and lowly in heart. So maybe this entire section is just talking about repentance and how it's so important for us to avoid this kind of angst and this trouble that the cities of Galilee were mm-hmm. experiencing. Mm-hmm. So whether it's after the fact of sin in repentance and confession or all the things that he's called them to do, right? Think of the, remember he was commissioning the, the, the disciples to go out. So it's a lot of hard things to do. So including all of those together, it's doing those with him. Um, there is a proportion that I typically give as a, a recommendation in confession. We'll see if any of you remember this. I typically remind people that, in my opinion, the spiritual life is 90% one thing and 10% something else. It's been a while, Father. <laughs> <laughs> any guesses? So I typically say the spiritual life is 90% staying close to Christ and 10% fighting the sins, fighting the temptations, repenting, all of that, all all of the push against evil. All right. And why do I say that? Because most of us flip that. Most of us, we make a good effort. We want to do the right thing. We try. And we fail. Why? Because it's us. With my strength and my wisdom, I'm going to do the right thing. And then we fall. We go, gee, how did that happen? Because 90% was about us with the right intention, but doing it without Christ. So people will come and they'll, you know, we all confess the things that we've fallen into. And then it's that always constant sort of, yeah, but I really got, I got to pray more. I got to read the scripture more. All the things that connect us to Christ. Hmm. typically get the lowest priority and we're always sort of trying to play catch up because why we're not doing it with him even if we're doing it for him we're not doing it with him and that's typically where we find our our failures so when he says come to me all who labor and heavy laden i will give you rest it doesn't mean that you're not going to work it means that as you're working and you'll get rest in between your work He's going to give the rest. It's not you giving yourself the rest. It's going to come from him. And then again, he doubles down. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly of heart. You'll find rest of your souls. And then one more time, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you gave the example of the yoke for the animals that connects to the wagon so everything works as one. Exactly. So if we take his yoke, it's lighter because we're connecting to him. Exactly. And following his example. Exactly. So for everything that comes before, and we're almost to the halfway point in the gospel, and especially for what's going to come now after this, this is where we got to keep these things in mind. Because it's gospel, like any piece of literature, you never have uh, a worthless part of it. There's no worthless part, right? Um I finally forced myself, this is years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, to finish Moby Dick. <laughs> Can you ever read Moby Dick? Uh, a long time. Okay. It was, it's long. Yeah. It is long. 
And he goes on and on. And on. I mean, there's a whole chapter on the color of white, right? The whale is the white whale. But did you enjoy reading it or was it just a challenge? By the time I, by the time I finished, I was glad I did it. And there was a lot in it. I don't know that I would do it again. Did you skim? <laughs> no. You didn't skim? Not this time. I like, because I had skimmed a couple of times. I'd started a couple of times. I'm like, you know, I really want to just do the whole thing. Because, I mean, that's, we all know the book, right? We've all heard of it. There's yeah. something about that book that's somehow important. And I thought, okay, if it's that important, the length of it shouldn't stop me. But my point is, even in all those on and on and on, chapters on things that don't seem important it's all important mm. so moby dick is not moby dick without 30 pages on the color of white <laughs> you know? like reading the old testament when they're describing the dimension for the temple you're like yeah. skip most of this chapter mm -hmm. i did it yeah. I I I bumped my speed up. <laughs> the 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 you app that reads to I me. I was reading and I'm thinking, okay, yeah. I go to one point two five speed. <laughs> yeah. Um, Father, I had a comment about the for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, you said something about the yoke and how Christ, you're yoked together. Um, I just am thinking about, it. I think yoke and the, the first thing I think about is my, my wedding ceremony, my mm -hmm. marriage, you know, that they make a lot of comments in that service about how you're yoked together mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you are two like ox moving together. And they make a lot of comments in the Bible about how you shouldn't yoke yourself to someone who's not of the same like mm -hmm. strength as you, mm -hmm. um, so I think that this is really interesting that he decides to use the analogy of the yoke because mm -hmm. it's just a yeah retelling us how much we are like in life with him mm -hmm. and his yoke is easy so it's it's almost like you know when ox are going together I'm sure if one gets tired the other will carry for the other one mm -hmm. and they can like just walk a little slower and rest a mm -hmm. little bit but eventually they like take up the burden of the other um so it's almost like christ is saying like you're yoked to me like we are almost like in a sense married in mm -hmm. this life too and you have to like rely upon me as much as you rely upon yourself which mm -hmm. is something i think a lot of us struggle with me specifically <laughs> um but it's in i just i don't i'm having a hard time with this verse just my yoke is easy my burden is light is he telling us like give me of your yoke because mine is easy. Like I'm strong. Hmm. It's like so he's saying you can do the it. You can, you can be yoked with the it, whatever the it is. Mm -hmm. And you can do it on your own or yoke to somebody else. And even the right thing is going to be uh, harder than it needs to be because we're not yoked to him. And you bring up the, the marriage and the wedding service. The main thing that we hear over and over the wedding service is that the bride and groom have an image given to them. And what's the image of the bride and the groom that's given over and over and over and over again? Christ, Christ in the church. Okay. So even that very famous and controversial epistle that every single wedding rehearsal, if you just watch me next time you're at a wedding and there's a rehearsal. Watch, and you'll see a steady stream of people that come by and say, and you won't know what they're saying because you're not 
right next to it, but you'll hear, well, I'll tell you what they're saying. Father, I want to talk about the epistle. Wives, submit to your husbands. I mean, really, what century is this? I mean, I've heard of all. Why is it controversial? Because they see it principally as an image of men and women. But they're not reading what St. Paul says is, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Then he says, nevertheless, let husbands love. In other words, I've told you all these things. You think it's all about the husband and the wife. It's really about Christ in the church. So this, the yoke you're talking about in marriage, even that, the image is Christ in the church. And that's where we want it to make human sense. We, we want to make decisions based on a reality. I have this struggle all the time. Those of you that have been in the parish council with me, I always bring up this struggle. The parish council is the body in the church that struggles most with the tension between the church as a divine institution and the church as a human institution yoked to Christ. Because you get in the parish council meeting and the easiest thing to do is Let's use our strength, our wisdom, our understanding, look at the numbers, look at this, look at all these earthly things, and make a decision. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, in theory. Just like it's the easiest thing in the world to do to say, I'm not going to concern what Jesus wants. I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to plan. I'm going to organize. I'm going to work hard. And then we come to the end of those processes, and every single time we fail. Because our human reasoning is a little less reliable. Why is it? It's our wisdom. You do it Christ's way, which doesn't make earthly sense. If you think about it, why would it make earthly sense that the Almighty is, um, is gentle and lowly in heart? And why would it make sense that he's asking us to do these really hard things, but somehow without not doing them, we're still going to do them. We find that yoke easy. It doesn't make any sense. And that's where faith comes in. Faith is where your actions are based on not what makes sense and what is prudent in worldly terms. It's, it's well, it's just that. It's an act of faith. You choose to place your faith, you choose to place your decision-making on something that doesn't make any earthly sense. If it made earthly sense, you wouldn't need your faith. We all struggle to have faith without faith. <laughs> To follow and be obedient because it makes sense and it looks assured. Well, that's the opposite of faith. And that's where all of Matthew and all of the scriptures can continually going to challenge us. It looks like this. You can follow that earthly wisdom and see where it gets you, but I'm inviting you to go this way. Right? The Old Testament, all the times, you know, that God would protect the people with very little worldly strength. You know, 300 going out after 30,000. Um, the apostles going out, the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, all, all of it is over and over saying, if you just do it with me, it's going to work out. But that's where our faith comes in. I think this uh, bolsters what you're saying, Father. I looked up uh, the word yoke, and it says a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to the plow or cart that they are to pull. So I just never thought of it as two animals having the yoke on them. So when Christ says, my yoke is light, my burden is light, we are yoked 
we have one side of the yoke. He has the other side of the yoke. Correct. So he's helping us. Like you said, stay 90% staying close to Christ. Right. I guess that's why he uses this as, as an analogy is that he's carrying the burden with us. Exactly. So the burden is still the burden. He's not saying, oh, don't do that stuff. It's really hard. He's saying, do it, but I'm going to be yoked with you. Um, we all struggle with, um, you know, seeing things as, well, I'm, I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm whatever. And if I say why, we're all going to say an external circumstance. The start marker is dropping. This happened to me. So-and-so got sick. The pandemic, politics, whatever. We're all going to say the external circumstance caused our internal reaction. Right? You're having a bad day. Yeah, why? This happened to me. This happened to me. This happened to me. But the witness of the saints is that our internal disposition, how we feel, our outlook is not based on on external circumstances or else they would be the most depressed and anxious people of all right imagine walking to church and all the the saints all the icons look like they've got you know they're in the middle of an anxiety attack and in a depressive state why they're being hunted they're being crucified they're being uh their kids are being killed in front of them all these terrible things are happening but they don't they they're saints because they don't choose to live on this is what's happening around me, and this is how I'm now going to respond to it. It's just what's happening around me, and I'm yoked to Christ. And then it makes sense. Like, how could people go to their martyrdoms so peacefully? And if you read account after account, every single one, the story is the same. They said, well, okay, so I'll go to God. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. They didn't see the the worldly. They, they weren't they weren't using the worldly circumstance as what determines their outlook. They, it was being yoked to Christ and saying He's going to carry me. You ever think that they like when Christ would save them, they were like, "Oh yeah, dang it!" Like you know how like when what was it? Oh, that's in the Old Testament. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like they were like really happy. They went into the fire mm -hmm. and they're like praising God in there. I mean, He was with them, mm -hmm. right? But like in, in that instance, he was with them. But some of the, you know, saints, like they were saved the first time. And they're like, oh, I was really looking forward to seeing Christ. Guess uh, we have to mm. do it again to, tomorrow. Like that's, oh man. You would think, but even, I mean, I, I'm sure that is a, a desire. But if you are so reliant on Christ as to be able to die for him, then if he wants me to live, okay, I'll live. The, the, the account of St. Thecla, as she goes to all of her different, she was taken over and over and over again into different um, situations where they were going to kill her, where they were threatening to kill her, tying her to the stake, they're going to put fire, tying her arms and legs to four uh, animals, uh, ox, I think, uh, throwing the lion's den, uh, throwing the pit of, of um, sea snakes and, and who knows what else in the tank which she considered her baptism, by the way. So all these things, and every time they're about to do it, she said the same thing. Lord, I love you. If you want me to live, I'll live. You want me to die, I'll die. Whatever I do, whether I live or die, I'm yours. And over and over again, they tried to kill her and they couldn't kill her. So yeah, it's, it's whatever comes, 
God, you have me. But how do you learn that? How do you get to the point where that becomes real for you? Mm. How do we get there? We all want that. Repent. In what way specifically? Go to him, repent. Like everything it's saying in this verse. Yoke yourself to him and let him give you rest, but keep working towards him. Mm -hmm. If you went to Baker Book or any Christian store, you would see probably a dozen ways you could buy Matthew eleven twenty eight. Everyone loves that. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Yeah. But it's not come to me, do what you want to do. And when you're tired, I'm going to give you a break. <laughs> you got to look at it with, you know, 27 and 29 and the rest. It's when you decide to be yoked to him. So, yeah, repentance, it's obedience. And I think it's just, it's trying it with whatever's going on now. We're, we want to get to a place we trust him with big things. We don't even trust him sometimes with small things. So whatever is facing us, to do it with Christ, being yoked to him, meaning I'm going to do what I have to do, but I'm trusting you to be the one to be really pulling the weight here and seeing what happens. Hmm. Again, we want it to be proven to us first, then we're going to do it. That's not how faith works. Let's see. I'm going to read you a quote here. This is from uh, St. Jerome. The father entrusts. The son receives. What is entrusted? Oh, by the way, this is when he says, all things delivered to my father. Um, verse 27. Um, what is entrusted? All things have been entrusted to the son, but this does not mean cosmically heaven and earth and the elements and the rest of nature, which God himself made and established. Rather, it refers personally to the people who have access to the father through the son and who were formerly rebellious, but afterward began to know God. So it's not as if in, in some theologies you sort of have the sort of unspoken, the father's anger, but Jesus is the nice one. The father is sending Jesus as an expression of him to express what the father sees, feels, thinks. So when he says everything's been delivered to my father, um, it's saying, I'm now the way you will understand. I'm the one, I'm the revelation. Because he says, uh, no one comes to the Father, no one knows the Son except the Son, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Mm -hmm. Who's the him? The Father. The Father. So Jesus is coming as the way that we can understand who the Father is. That's why our worship is always Christ-centered, but never without acknowledging the Trinity. This is where some of the Protestant churches, because they didn't have the weight of tradition to keep it from getting off track, they understand Christ as the expression of love. What a lot of them don't understand, because they, have, again, haven't seen the, the fuller picture, is he's the expression of the love of the Father. Not the Father who's just demanding and who's just, 
and Jesus is the nice one, Jesus is revealing by his love, the love of the Father. If we, if we can't connect Old and New Testaments, we're not going to get either one. And that's why, as I said before, reading the Old Testament is so important because the image is, well, that was the mean God. This is now the nice God. No, they all, they go together. And when you read it, you, you'll see that it really does come together. Any other questions that section? question good so um uh, i don't know if you want to get into this or not but the protestants would look at the second half of 27 and and say that there are some to whom the son would not reveal um, the father yeah you want to comment on that Orthodox it doesn't say it. <laughs> they might infer it, but it doesn't say that. Yeah. So we, we, we would stand with anyone who would say that the son is the revelation of the father. And then now, you know, post Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. But we would insist on that being a unity. You can't. They never disagreed. They never had any differences among them. Um, and one of the issues we have with what gets developed, especially with Calvin and predestination and double predestination, all that stuff, you don't have to know what that means. Don't worry about it if you don't know what it means. Um, it's, they're, they're stuck with the idea of we are in the state we're in, right? And some have been chosen by God and some have been chosen to not that that's the part where we we say how, how do you how would you jive that with the rest now there are scriptures that in in micro context look to be supporting that idea right some might do and say we'll say okay well the son's choosing to reveal him it doesn't say it to everyone so therefore he's only revealed his son we would say it doesn't say that but there are others where in in the sort of close up you look and you say well, yeah, it sort of sounds like, and I can't think off the top of my head, but it sounds like there is the predestination of some for salvation and some to condemnation. But when you look at the whole, like how do you, that goes again, that's a small point that is going to undercut the big point that gets made over and over and over again. How do you, um, how, do, how do we jive those ideas with Christ saying, I have come to draw all men to myself. So that, and that's not just one. I mean, we could we could pull individual verses and go back and forth. But you look at the whole thing, and you go, "This doesn't fit." And again, we're going to say that this doesn't. Re, re, we're not going to rely on, you know, sort of holding hands and hope the Holy Spirit whispers something in our ears. The Scripture was given to us, and yes, while we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, we also have what God gave us which is our minds, our understanding, our ability to read it and go, oh, it's all there. It's in the scripture. Yeah, it, it's most of the mistakes of any kind of heresy, Protestant or otherwise, even, even in Orthodox history, it was always taking something that 
looks to be right if you discount a whole lot of other stuff, which is why, by the way, heretics receive the greatest condemnation in the church. You, you could be the worst mass murderer, but you'd be better off as the church than being a heretic. Because you're a heretic, you're taking your idea, which goes against the, the wholeness of the revelation, and you're pushing it. And to do that, you've got to ignore a lot of things. So you're basically saying, here's scripture, but don't read that part. <laughs> or read it this way. And that's why the church was very strong in her condemnation. I mean, there, there are sometimes we're celebrating different saints. And the hymnography is what we would probably call rude and insulting. Um, we call certain heretics the headless one. What does it mean to call somebody headless? Don't think Halloween headless, but... You know, has no brain, no brain, yeah. Hey, brainless, <laughs> you know, and that's what it says. I mean, that's and that's what it means. It means they weren't using what God gave them to see, and they took their pride and taught bad things. There's a hymn about, I think it's Judas, but it's during right before Pascha or something, and it talks about his death. It's like a horrible death, horrible yeah, yeah. death. Yeah. It's so awful. Yeah. Let me read you a couple more quotes because I, I don't want to leave this idea of finding rest. I mean, it's, it's a good uh, learning to, to hold on to. We just want to make sure we get it in context. Um, this is from St. Augustine. You are to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You are not learning from me how to refashion the fabric of the world, nor to create all things visible and invisible, nor to work miracles and raise the dead. Rather, you are simply learning of me that I am meek and lowly in heart. If you wish to reach high, then begin at the lowest level. If you're trying to construct some mighty edifice and height, you will begin with the lowest foundation. This is humility. However great the mass of the building you may wish to design or erect, the taller the building is, the taller the building is to be, the deeper you will dig the foundation. The building in the course of its erection rises up high, but he who digs its foundation must first go down very low. So then you see even a building is low before it is high and the tower is raised only after humiliation. Our worldly sensibility says, do something powerful and mighty. And, and he's saying, yeah, you might get there, but you first gotta, you gotta go down before you go up. And who showed us that more than anybody? He literally went down to Hades. Yeah. First down to here. And even while he's here, he keeps going lower and lower and lower, right? He's born in the cave, laying in a manger. Then he goes through all the, the disrespect he went through, then the passion, crucifixion. That, that's, that's the ultimate irony. How did he talk about his crucifixion beforehand? It was the one phrase he would use more than any other. My time has not come. Yeah, but to describe his crucifixion, he'd say, um, and when the Son of Man is lifted up. So his exaltation is lifting up. 
was his crucifixion, was his going down into the depths of suffering, even to death, and then like you're saying, even to Hades, um, out of his love. And that's what's going to become the most powerful thing that he will ever do. Here's a uh, quote from St. Cyril of Alexandria. It talks about sort of drawing to Christ. Stand apart from the inclination to love sin and to love the flesh. Turn to deeds worthy of praise. Draw near to me so that you may become sharers of the divine nature and partakers of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called everyone, not only the people of Israel. As the maker and Lord of all, he spoke to the weary Jews who did not have the strength to bear the yoke of the law. He spoke to idolaters, heavy laden and oppressed by the devil, and weighed down by the multitude of their sins. To Jews, he said, obtain the profit of my coming to you. Bow down to the truth. Acknowledge your advocate and Lord. I set you free from bondage under the law, bondage in which you endured a great deal of toil and hardship, unable to accomplish it easily and accumulating for yourselves a very great burden of sins. And that's, that's an important point. Talk about the Old and New Testament. Um, the popular understanding, which comes from some Protestant circles that invades even our own thinking sometimes, is what did Jesus do? Jesus paid the price. Jesus did the work. Jesus accomplished the law. And now we don't have to. Only, that's not what it says, right? Jesus said, you know, not a dot of the law is going to pass away. So what we need to do, in fact, we, we saw back, remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You heard it said this, but I tell you this. Well, he didn't decrease the requirements of the law. He increased it. But how is he assuming we're going to accomplish that? What's, what's different that we have that the Jews in the Old Testament didn't have? Christ. There we go. <laughs> You're all worried me for a second there. <laughs> also the Holy Spirit, Father. Yeah, the Holy Spirit poured out. Yeah. Okay, so you, you see the Holy Spirit make these little appearances in the Old Testament. This one had the Spirit, that one got the Spirit. Now at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Mm -hmm. To do what? To make the presence of Christ be known. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter who will bring to mind all the things that I've told you. So he's the spirit connects us to the son who brings us to the father. So what we are called to do hasn't changed. In fact, if, if anything, it's increased, but how we do it has changed. And it's his yoking to Christ that uh, he's talking about. <clears throat> Questions or thoughts? We've got a few more minutes. Father, I have um, two comments about yoking. One is, uh, for me, it's very personal about the fact that I think Jesus was speaking from his occupation. He was the son of a carpenter. He was identified in the Gospel of Mark as a carpenter. And he would have made tables for people, doors, 
chairs that were at the right size and comfortable to sit in, he would have been an artisan being able to know what woods to use for what projects. And so when Jesus uses this illustration saying, I know what I'm talking about when I say, I have a yoke that I have made. If you join with me, it will work, but it will not chafe you. Because as you've been pointing out, uh, uh, we are in yoke with Christ and, and his burden is, uh, he asks us to do things, but asks us to do things with him. And the yoke will not harm us. It will accomplish the purpose he intended for it. And it comes because he would have probably made yokes before and knew exactly what he was talking about. The uh, second point that I'd like to, that I get out of this is when it says the objective of taking the yoke or coming to Christ is that you may find rest unto your souls. That's the objective. And when you think of rest, you think of the seven days of creation, God will work for six days and says on the seventh day, God rested from his work. What does that mean? It means he completed, he finished. It was perfect. It was exactly what it needed to be. And he could relax and rest as it were in the perfection of what he had done. You think of the children of Israel coming out of in Hebrews chapter four, um, because of the fact that they did not trust and believe in God, he says, they shall not enter into my rest until they come in covenant relationship with me and understand what's being asked of them. And then they will be at rest in the promised land that I will give them. And I think the parallel here from the Old Testament as well to the new is Jesus said, the objective of being yoked with me is that your soul will find rest. I have, I have satisfied, it is finished. The work of salvation and redemption is done. And if you yoke with me, your soul will find rest and will come into the complete uh, uh, accomplishment of what I intended when I created you. And that's what it means to me. Beautiful. You know, actually, something you said struck me when you, just all the talking about all of the parallels of rest from this verse to the Old Testament, too, is that every single time, you know, you mentioned the, the mention of rest, the people, you know, like, for instance, God made the heaven and the earth and, and everything. And on the seventh day, he rested. But that didn't mean that he rested and he's just been resting since then. He just, he's relaxing up there. He's never worked again. That That's again, like it says, I will give you rest. Like father said, rest doesn't mean like you'll never have to work again. Doesn't mean that though, that's just the end of it. It means, yeah, you can relax for a little bit, but you know, we got to work again. And in every single time it shows that, you know, this life isn't just easy. We can't just rest all the time. We have to pick up our, our yoke again and continue to work. If you look at, at the world today, you, you see really vivid examples of how you would think life without God is easier. Yeah. There's sometimes I just wonder, like, it's surprising. People would get up on a Sunday morning. You could, you could wake up. You could sleep in till eight or nine make some coffee, read the paper, watch TV. Like, 
I always joke that the Lionel Richie was definitely not orthodox because there's nothing easy about Sunday morning. Uh, that's his song, Easy Like Sunday Morning. Um, the image is if we do live a Christian life, it's hard. And there's, an, there's a, a, a sense of that that's really true. But the, the, the other sense, I mean, well, it's harder than without. You got to follow these rules. You can't have all the fun you could have otherwise. You can't just do what you want to do. You got to do these things you don't want to do. Let's just forget all that and have an easier life. And then you look at the world today, which has by and large rejected God and forget the, the effect of it, but how specifically how hard people are working, not just working in their jobs, working at everything, working to the point where, as I was talking about yesterday, my reflection, like everyone feels like it's their job to, to say the right thing and speak their mind and right all the wrongs. Like, where did we get the idea that it was our job to do all this? Well, you can see why. If you get God out of the picture, you can say, well, I'm not I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic or whatever. He's out of your consciousness. He's out of your goals. He's out of your, your worldview. Someone's got to run the world. <laughs> right? Someone's got to keep it spinning on its axis. Someone's got to make sure everything works and, and the rivers are still flowing. And, and so the world that's rejected God because maybe it seemed too hard is now working, I don't know, a million times harder because we've gotten him out of the picture. And now it's up to us to do it all. No one says that out loud. No one says, well, you know, we've got to, well, actually we are saving it. We're going to say it out loud. We got to save the planet. Right. And this doesn't mean anything about how we should or shouldn't treat the environment. We should always treat the environment as Adam and Eve were, were called to treat the environment. We should be good caretakers of the environment. But look at how the, the, the way we talk about it has changed. It's up to us. We are going to save this planet. I mean, yeah, do the right thing, but to go to the extent where it's like we're we're now, as always, as Ankind has always tried to do, we put ourselves in God's place. You can get rid of God, but you can't get rid of the work of God. So someone's going to step up, and that's where we, so many people that are, are working so hard at everything they do, to the point of being addicted to work. Um, it's, it's just what happens when we don't when we don't yoke ourselves to Christ. We're going to be yoked to something or someone. And here we are thinking that we do it harder. And there are some hard things about the Christian life, obviously. But yoke to Christ, it's a light yoke. You know, I just, one quick thing that, I, that reminds me of this is when I, you know, was in college, I used to have um, kids, kids, college students, my fellow peers, whatever. I was an RA they would joke with me because I was a Christian, like, man, your life is so boring. Like you must <laughs> never have fun. Like you don't ever party, you don't ever, you know, do this stuff. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, I, you know, I just have safe parties or like, you know, I just don't party the way you party. And, um, it was always interesting to me because they would always say stuff like, oh, your life's so boring and nothing's mm -hmm. going on. And, wow, being a Christian must be like the worst because you have no freedoms. Huh. And I always thought, you know, you know, some people actually would talk a little deeper about what they were experiencing, what, and then I would know, oh, my life is the easier one. You know, I, 
I'm not as burdened down as you because you're trying to solve all your own problems. But there were other times when people would say that and I'd just say, you know, if I only knew what was going on deep down inside of you, I think you would realize that like all that partying, like it's really not all that it comes out to. Is it really fun to you? You know, so I don't know. It reminded me of that. Either following the prince of peace or you're following the prince of this world. Yeah. Yep. Prince the singer. <laughs> Father Tom would say it would be so. All right, everyone. Thank you. We are off for several weeks mm -hmm. and we'll pick up again. When is that? Second week of August? August 11th, God willing. Yay. One month off. But don't take a break from the Bible. Pubics. <laughs> we get to skip the measurements of the temple. <laughs> or at least go fast. Yeah. We did. All right. God bless everybody. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Here's your cross. <laughs>